This is Brayden and Tally again with the voice of my beloved podcast. We are going to be continuing our study with the Song of Solomon. We are, but we're still here in chapter one. But we're gonna, are we finishing up today? It seems like. Hopefully we'll finish chapter maybe, one today, yes. Maybe we'll get through chapter one today, so it'll be an exciting day. <laughs> <laughs> we're also on day 34 of the Omer, which means we've got 16 more days to go. Almost about two weeks until we'll be hosting uh, a gathering here, Shavuot. We're getting pretty excited about it. We've got 100 plus people registered. Our housing is pretty much, I don't know, maybe we could squeeze a few in somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> but it's uh it's exciting though it's exciting if you to got see. a camper we got plenty of spaces yeah yeah <laughs> camping is is fine yeah so it, yeah it's it's getting very exciting and we've learned that um my sister and her husband their band Teshuva is going to be joining us and we also um have some unexpected Hayuvel guests that are going to be here Braden's parents Tommy and Sherry are going to be here um due to um, Israel still being shut down over there. So we, you know, we really want them to get back to Israel, but we're also kind of excited that they're going to be here. So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we're excited that, that, uh, that we got a lot of people to be, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun getting together with everyone. So especially after the season of not really seeing much of anyone for a while. So it'll be, it'll be good. Uh, so yep. day. 34 of the Omer, we're getting closer, and we are going to get into the Song of Solomon here. I believe we left off at verse 11 last time. Yeah, so here we go. I just want to open up and say, you know, this study, I hope this study, as you're listening out there, is an encouragement to just, you know, have our thoughts about our bridegroom, you know, about the sacrificial love, and we're going to be getting into that today because uh, the bride is going is going to be appreciating the sacrificial love of her bridegroom, mm-hmm. and when we understand how much he loves us, then it causes our hearts to be warmed towards him. It causes our hearts to tenderize toward him, and we begin to uh, see our problems even in a different light. We begin mm-hmm. to see our problems in the light of he is refining me for his glory. You know, right. and so it, it helps to just. And as we make this journey through the Song of Songs, we see we almost see life in a different lens. Mm-hmm. I'm being made ready for a wedding. I'm being made ready for my bridegroom. And he is the, the, the focus and the goal of my life. And, and our thoughts begin is the more we, I believe we, the more we meditate on his word for one, mm-hmm. the more we're tenderized to his affections toward us. And we, we are made, we're made ready as we, as we meditate on his word, as we, as we're, you know, just see, seeking to absorb ourselves in his thoughts. Yeah. You know? And so this is so powerful. Yeah, I feel like this ne- this storyline needs to be the driving force in our lives. Like this has to be a big part of yeah, just ha- like the lens, how we see our life, how we see uh, all that God, you know, the journey that God takes us on. Um, so yeah, yeah, I've actually been reading a book by Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he surprisingly, for those of you who know Charles Spurgeon, he was a called the Prince of Preachers back in the eighteen hundreds. Um, preached thousands of sermons, but he actually preached. I believe over 60 sermons on the Song of Solomon. 
and uh, just fascinating. You know, someone you, you think of him as you know, kind of being a theological type person, but he also, if you read some of his sermons in the Song of Songs, he was very much of a heart person as well. You know, he talked about, you know, just the need to go beyond theology and actually have a heart connection to the bridegroom, Jesus, uh-huh. and just how important that is to, you know, because people can debate theology around and around and around, but if you don't have that heartbeat for your bridegroom, then where is it actually leading you? You know, right. and so this is so, so key. I mean, I'm not checking theology, but I just, <laughs> I, I believe it's so important to be rooted and grounded in love. If you don't have that, you don't really have much to offer to the world. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's such a need to be rooted and grounded in love and then for your theology to stem from that, uh, not, right. you know, not the vice versa. Right, right. So but, jumping into verse 11 here, it says, we will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. So one of the interesting things of this verse is who is the we? You know, because it's been pretty much up till now, just a conversation between the bride and the bridegroom, mm-hmm. right? But now we have we, we make you, we will make you ornaments of gold. Uh, maybe there was a brief uh mention of the daughters of Jerusalem earlier. Yeah. yeah. But now, now the we, we have we here. And so a few thoughts on this, uh, the we could be referring to the, the joined effort, the work of the father, Yeshua and the Holy spirit working in the life of the believer. Mm-hmm. That could be the we, we, you know, God working together to help the believer mature. And the gold is a reference to, you know, the divine nature of God. Gold is often speaking of, you know, heaven, you know, he's working a divine nature into the believer, into the bride. And so we will make you ornaments of gold. It also could be saying we, as in it's a joint effort with the believer and Yeshua, you know, that there's like this, you know, we participate in our sanctification. Like Uh we're, we're a participate, a participant in, in this whole process. Uh Yeah. It reminds me of the, like that whole, you know, what you, with Yeshua's prayer talking about being one with the father and being one with each other, like there's this whole oneness thing. So it kind of, it kind of feels like that, that kind of a right. way where it's like, this could be God, this could be the bodies of Messiah. It's like yeah. that whole oneness thing. <laughs> right. So however you want to uh, shape it there, it's the bride is being adorned. She's being adorned with gold and silver. And so gold speaks of this heavenly character. She's being, she's growing in, in virtue, heavenly virtues. And then silver, if we look through the Bible, we find silver is often referred to in context with redemption. So we look at Numbers 18, 16, and those redeemed of the devoted things you shall redeem when one month old, according to your valuation for five shekels of silver. So we see quite a few different references to silver and redemption. In the Bible, also in the Torah, we have a passage that talks about a half shekel of silver for everyone, rich, poor, man, woman, whoever it might be. Uh, these people are bringing half shekel of silver as a, as a redemption as a redemption for, you know, everybody brings this offering. Mm -hmm. And so silver. So we see in this passage as well, you know, we have the divine character, the gold, and then studs of silver. We see the bride being redeemed, but then also being equipped to bring redemption to others. So this, this is just some of the, the uh, things that we can see from this verse. Mm -hmm. So moving along to verse 12, while the King is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. And so this is a, a beautiful verse here talking about the spikenard and can't help but think about Mary of Bethany because she brings spikenard mm-hmm. to Yeshua. And while he's at the table, we see Mark 14, verse three, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, 
a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. So this is Mark's rendition. We, two other of the Gospels tell this story as well. And a powerful, powerful story. You know, of all the stories in the Gospel, this one Yeshua singles out as one. He said, this, what she's done, will be spoken as a memorial to her throughout all the earth. There's no other story in the entire Bible, in the entire Gospels, mm-hmm. that Yeshua points out with this kind of significance. So uh-huh. what this person did is going to be told in all the earth as a memorial to them. But yeah. she, he points out this, that she gives extravagantly of this oil of spikenard. Mm-hmm. And so while the king is at his table, Yeshua the king is sitting at his table, and my spikenard, you know, uh, Mary's spikenard is sending forth this fragrance. She's giving this offering. And just how costly this was, we look at in the rendition in John, in the John's account of the story, John 12, 5, it says, has Judas saying, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? We can look back at different stories in the Bible and see that a denarii was the one day's wage. Is We see the story of the vineyard workers. You know, said, we're going to pay you. The vineyard owner said, well, I'll pay you a denarius per day. Mm-hmm. And so based on that, we can say, you know, there's roughly, by the time you, uh, by the time you eliminate uh, Shabbats and feast days from the work year, mm-hmm. you've got about 300 work days. Mm-hmm. So if Judas is right that this oil that Mary poured out was worth 300 denarii, we're talking about a year's wage, mm-hmm. roughly. Yeah. You know, so in today's terms, I think the average year's wage is about in between forty and $50,000. Mm-hmm. So this was very valuable. This this flask of spikenard oil that Mary had was worth a whole year's worth of work. Right. And so she just pours it out as an extravagant offering. And Yeshua said, you know, she, she's done a good thing. And she's anointed me. And, and so sometimes the world looks on in our lives, you know, they, we, they may look at the extravagance of uh, something that we're doing, you know, uh, our, the extravagance of our devotion to Yeshua. And they may look on and say, well, what a waste. You know, they're wasting their lives. They could have, you know, been a, you know, what they could have doctor uh, yeah yeah they could have they could have you know yeah excelled at you know something but when people give their lives extravagantly uh-huh. in worship to Yeshua this is something I believe he that pleases him and and he is he's really moved by that mm-hmm. yeah it, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard on the road um, we've a song that we've written called extravagant love that is based on on this story this story is just very uh, very special to us <laughs> this this whole uh, act of worship is such a um, is such a beautiful, beautiful picture of, and and Yeshua's pleasure with it too is just like his, oh, I like how overwhelmed he was by it. I think is just so so neat to see. I don't know how many times you really see that you know in in the Bible where he was just like overwhelmed by someone's worship, you know, and and that was that's just such a an amazing thing. Cause that's what we want. You know, that's what we want our hearts to be is to be full of extravagant worship, uh, towards him. So it's, I love that. Yeah. And we see here that she pours it out on his head and, mm-hmm. and back in the day, it's under, I, from what I understand, people wore their hair a little bit longer than we do today. And so, uh, here she, he's basically being soaked in this oil of spikenard. And if you get a chance, I encourage you to actually, you know, they have essential oils of spikenard, but to actually smell it just to have that smell. Yeah. But amazing thing is, is that, you know, Yeshua said, she's anointed me for burial. 
And so he has this, you know, one of the things that struck me as I was looking into this story is that he's got this fragrance on him as he's going through the beatings, the crucifixion. He's got this oil of spikenard on him. And I imagine it was a great encouragement to him as he endured all the suffering that he went through. He still had this fragrance on him. There was almost like a down payment, you could say, almost like a just realizing that he was going to get through this and he was going to make it the other side and and he's going to... uh, there's, there's going to be much more worship given to him. The, the fragrance, the incense of worship is going to just, you know, uh, exponentially grow. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he's, he's, but this was almost like a down payment. This is, you know, this fragrant, this extravagant gift of worship was something I imagine was a, a great encouragement to him as he endured the suffering, the stripes that he bore for us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I love how, um, you know, as we read through the Song of Solomon, just the extravagance that's there, not only in, you know, in this kind of a thing, like in the worship, um, but it's basically like there, there's a lot of extravagance. We've got studs of silver, ornaments of gold. You've got all of these expensive um, oils and fragrances. I mean, you read about all kinds of these things, these um, these special flowers and, you know, uh, food and even, and all of those things. And like just how extravagant God's love is, you know, that um, it's such a, a huge thing, but how like the extravagance in our lives uh, is meant to bring him worship and is meant to bless him. So I think that that's something that, that we can really uh, take heart to, like that, that he's called us to a life of extravagance, you know, but he's called us to a life of extravagance for him, for his right. glory. <laughs> right, an extravagant love for him. Yeah. You know, at the end of the book, we get to this, this climax of the bride. She's like, you know, a man could give all the wealth of his house for love. It would be utterly despised. You know, yeah. it's like uh-huh. once you've realized how valuable love is, it's really the, the currency of heaven. You know, it's like, this is the, the most powerful thing in the world. Like, oh yes, you know, for love, I would much rather, you know, have that than any of the riches of this world. Uh-huh. Any of the, you know, the glamorous things this world has to offer oh, for love is so much more valuable. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yes. So moving along to verse 13. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breast. So in the song, we have myrrh mentioned eight times. And this fragrance, this, uh, this oil is seen representing suffering mm-hmm. for a few different reasons. Uh, one of them being that the myrrh, one of the processes for getting myrrh is it's, it's cut. The trees are cut. The bark is cut open and the sap flows out. So there's this suffering element uh, that even is involved in the making of myrrh. And so we see here that the bride, she's valuing the suffering love. It's a bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me. He, she's just really appreciating the sacrificial love of her beloved. And she, she's just holding that near to her heart. You know, and it, it's not something that she, it's a burden to her. You know, she's not like, you know, uh, something she's carrying on her shoulder, on her back, but it's right close to her heart. You know, this bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me mm-hmm. that lies all night between my breast. It's like, it, it actually in the Hebrew, the night is not actually mentioned there. It's the Hebrew word yalin, which means to, uh, to, to like stay overnight, like to laloon is to like to stay overnight somewhere. So you can kind of see how the translators uh, kind of, put that in there, but it's not Lila. The word for night is not actually in the actual text. So you could also translate it. It just lies all the time, you know, between, between my breasts, like it's on my heart. This, 
the sacrificial love of my savior, the sacrificial love of my bridegroom is always near to my heart. I'm holding it as a bundle of myrrh right next to me. Mm-hmm. So, and then we see here that, uh, that worship, you worship, we, we look on and, uh, you know, we see, we see here that the spikener is sending forth its fragrance, you know, as she's at the table and, you know, she's got this bundle of myrrh that's close to her and worship just flows freely from this heart that is one at the table, you know, at the table partaking with the king, you know, she, because the bride is, you know, the, the, the bride is with the bridegroom at the table, you know, mm-hmm. the spikener is coming forth. So we just get this picture of the bride receiving the abundance that's at the table, mm-hmm. but then also uh, understanding the depth of love, this, this myrrh, this sacrificial love. And that's where worship flows forth freely. Mm-hmm. When we realize how much the bridegroom has given to us, mm-hmm. then our spikener sends forth its fragrance. Yeah. We are, we just, we become this, you know, it, the scripture talks about our prayers being as incense, uh-huh. our worship being this fragrant incense. We just, it flows freely uh, when we are, when we're holding that myrrh close to our heart. Yeah. It's also, it's also making me think, you know, of having got five children and just how much you do that with your baby. Like you hold your baby on your chest, like all night, you know, just, and it's this, um, it's this form of nurturing too. It's like, this is something very precious to me. You know, like this is something that, that I never want to let go of. This is, you know, there's a connection here that I'm nurturing. And I, I think of that, you know, with, um, you know, after having a baby, uh, usually you're in bed <laughs> for for a bit, and you just get that time to just nurture that new relationship. And how, for me, it's always been so important to just let the baby just lay on me, and just right. for hours and hours and days and weeks. You know, those first that first bit, and it nurtures the relationship too. And just how you know, just that showing that like that this love is precious to me and I want to nurture this. Like I want to nurture this relationship and hold it close. Right. Yeah. And with the myrrh, not only is it a drop, it's not just a drop of myrrh, it's a bundle of myrrh. You know, it's, it, the bride is recognizing what a costly love it was, you know, to, to purchase her, to, to purchase her out of bondage, out of darkness. Mm-hmm. And so myrrh, just to build on this idea of what myrrh is, myrrh is very fragrant. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a very strong, fragrance a, a, a very i don't know evoking yeah. type of type of fragrance myrrh is very fragrant so as i mentioned the myrrh of of just of of pure worship uh, you know this this is a very powerful scent myrrh is preserving it was used to preserve the body of yeshua you know they brought the myrrh to the the body to 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 preserve him uh it's a beautifier we see in the book of esther how myrrh was used to beautify the women for their beauty treatments like that six months is like this extravagant process of <laughs> beauty treatments but myrrh was involved in that so for us you know just re- taking those these things the myrrh of the sacrificial love of yeshua is preserving for our lives you know we when we go in th- when we're going through trials through heartache mm-hmm. when we hold that bundle of myrrh close to us we realize how valued we are. We may feel rejected. We may feel ostracized. We may feel be going through trials. We hold that bundle of myrrh close against our hearts. It's preserving for us. Mm-hmm. It preserves our hearts. It keeps us from offense. It helps to keep us from offense. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, and then it's a beautifier. You know, uh, Moses prayed, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Hold that bundle of myrrh close to your heart. It'll beautify your spirit. It'll beautify your heart. The, uh, the sacrifice of Yeshua says, by this we know love in John. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Mm-hmm. And so when you hold that bundle of myrrh, and, and just realizing too, one of the sermons I was reading by Charles Spurgeon, he kept on coming back to that, my, a bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me, and emphasizing to me, to me. You know, he said, there's atheists out there, they don't care about him. There's people out there that have no regard for the beloved, but to me, to me, he's a bundle of myrrh to me. And he kept on, you know, he's just building this. I could just imagine, you know, he had a very strong voice. He preached like 10,000 people without the use of a microphone, but, uh, but you know, but to me, and so how important it is to individually that you hold that bundle of myrrh and to you out there listening, that you hold that close to your heart. You never let that go. Mm -hmm. You hold that bundle of myrrh that to you, he will be so dear. He'll be so precious to you Mm -hmm. and never lose sight of that sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. Yep. So then moving on to verse 14, my beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. Tally and I have both been to Engedi. It's a beautiful spot. One of the most beautiful in all of Israel, I would say. Yeah. Just because it's so refreshing because you're walking, you're going through this desert pretty much. I mean, you got the nearby, you've got the place where uh, Sodom and Gomorrah used to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, but you come across, come up to this oasis in yeah. Getty. And it's just springs and greenery, flowers, just a beautiful spot. Mm-hmm. But she says, my beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms. Henna, henna blooms are very fragrant, beautiful. And uh, so she sees the beloved, her beloved bridegroom. She sees as she, she associates him with these fragrant flowers. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, I, I, I don't know if I'm unusual as a guy, but I, I just, I like smelling flowers. <laughs> I don't know. I just, if I'm walking through the, around the farm here, I just, I just love to just smell the flowers. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, you, yeah, you definitely enjoy, um, fragrance, s- fragrance. Yeah. That's something that like is very, uh, it like, it's a memory thing yeah, or something, yeah. which, yeah, I, it's made me appreciate it more. <laughs> yeah. But how awesome though, to, to see him with that kind of attraction, you know, that, you know, we have Isaiah, you know, it says that, you know, in, in Yeshua's humanity that we saw no form or comeliness in him, you know, there was a sense of he w- he became a, a man, fully a man. It wasn't like he was a superhuman. Mm-hmm. But what I see in this is the bride sees a quality in the bridegroom, something so attractive in his personality, in his nature, that she's so drawn to his heart. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms. She sees in him beauty, as you would see beauty in a flower. And, and I believe this is so important that we would see him in that way, that we would be drawn to him. You know, that we would have this revelation that what the bride saw, what, this, what, what is being described here in the Song of Songs, that we would see this in our bridegroom, Yeshua. Mm-hmm. That we would see him as this cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. As I said, vineyards of Engedi this place in Getty was surrounded by desert. It's almost like this weary traveler is just, you know, going through the deserts of this world. And all of a sudden he comes to the vineyards of Engedi. He comes to this beautiful oasis, sees the beautiful henna flowers. And that's the way our bridegroom should be to us. We're going through this sometimes weary journey through this world, but he's that oasis. Mm-hmm. He's that place that we can, can just inhale his beauty, like, like a flower. You know, his, the, uh, the essence, the power of who he is, we can be attracted to him as he would be attracted to a beautiful flower. Mm-hmm. 
So then moving on to verse 15, behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. It's also could be translated, behold, you are beautiful. The Hebrew word is yafa. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. You have dove's eyes. And this is a powerful verse. He's, he's doubly emphasizing her beauty. And when you understand that God sees beauty in you, it changes your life. It changes the inner workings of your heart. You no longer are subject to just the, you know, being controlled by the emotions of others, you know, because when God, the creator of the universe, creator of the universe says, you're beautiful. You are so beautiful. He says it twice. You are beautiful. You're beautiful. My love. Mm -hmm. It unlocks you. It unlocks your heart and you begin to find identity in him. Mm -hmm. And this is where we see the bride. She's on this journey of finding her, her full identity in the bridegroom. Mm -hmm. It says you have dove's eyes. And so this is a amazing thing about doves is that they have no peripheral vision. Basically they have to turn their head to see the direction that they want to see, right? They, they can only see straight ahead. And so when the bridegroom tells the bride, you have dove's eyes, he's saying, you only have eyes for me. You, you just look straight ahead. You're single minded. You have a single eye on me. She's focused, mm -hmm. undivided attention. And so this is what we, what we need to seek after. We need to long for these dove's eyes that the bridegroom could look upon us and say, oh, you have dove's eyes. You're, you're not distracted. You know what we see in Matthew, Yeshua says, no man can serve two masters. Either will hate the one and love the other, right? So mm -hmm. for the bride, as she's maturing, she needs to set her eyes upon Yeshua, you know, mm -hmm. fixing her eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. We need those dove's eyes to not be distracted. Yes, there's going to be trials. There's going to be uh, things that want to try to seek our devotion, seek to pull our devotion away from the bridegroom. But may God grant us, you know, so make it your prayer. God, give me dove's eyes for you. Yeshua, give me dove's eyes to be fully devoted to you. Another interesting thing about doves is that they mate for life. When they, when their spouse dies, they will not remate. They, they stay fully committed to that one partner their whole life. And so the, the dove is, is an amazing, amazing symbol uh -huh. of devotion, of single-mindedness, single heart. And it's also, you know, we see, see throughout the scripture that doves are associated with the Holy Spirit. So when the, when the bridegroom says, you have dove's eyes, it's like, oh, the Holy Spirit is really um, working in you. You know, we need the Holy Spirit to give us those dove's eyes, mm -hmm. to give us that single-minded devotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this you know, this, uh, verse here is a, it's a change of voice too, because, you know, right before is where we have the bride, um, speaking and she's just talking about this extravagant love that she's pouring out before him. And I'm just trying, you know, I try to like think of the whole story, like what we've just been through. She's been through kind of a hard time and, the shepherds, you know, the beloved came and encouraged her uh, to keep on the journey and still was, was calling her beautiful in the midst of that hardship. Right. And then, you know, in the, in the end of that, like this, it brings us to this where it's like, it's almost like they're, they're, um, they're making these ornaments of gold and silver you know, this is coming out of like a, like distressing time almost to be like, you're beautiful. You know, you're beautiful. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to get you ready for this. Like, don't worry. You're not going to be alone like this. You're, we're going to equip you. And so like this, we're going to give you the, the gold and the, and the studs of silver. And then 
she's overwhelmed by that. She's like, oh, wow. You know, he's with me on this journey. And then she pours out this, this worship towards him and like, you know, just this extravagance. And then that's what invokes this you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. It's like, oh, wow, she responded rightly. (laughs) It's like, yes, this is, you know, this is it. You know, she's, she's seen my, my love and affection. She realized that she isn't distracted by that, that she's, she's still continuing on the journey. She's still looking forward and it invokes this, like this overwhelming response from the bridegroom. And I just, I love that, that whole idea just of how, much, you know, we think of God and, you know, like that he's not an emotional person, you know, he's not someone who, you know, I don't know, you have this kind of tendency to think of this way or something like that, but it's so not accurate. It's like, it's like we have the ability as humans to affect his heart. And and that for me is like just such an overwhelming thought. Like he can be overwhelmed by our worship. He can be just like, oh, wow, that was, you are beautiful. You know, like, I mean, like just, just so reacting to our praise and to our worship. And I just think that's, that's such a powerful reality you know if we understood that like the depths of the emotions of of yeshua that how much we can impact his um you know just his (laughs) his emotions right Uh, and so a lot of the song just goes back and forth between admiration of one another right the bride admiring Uh the bridegroom the bridegroom then just pouring out his lavish admiration of the bride (laughs) back and (laughs) forth Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, just wrapping up chapter one here, verse 16, behold, you're handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. So she responds and she says, uh, you know, in the English is handsome. It's actually just the Hebrew word yafe. You have yafa for the woman, yafe for the the bride says, oh, yafe, you're you're so beautiful, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. Uh, The word bed there can also be translated as couch. And uh, it's speaking of you know, that she's seating, she's seated in authority with him. Uh, you know, she's, she's in this place of rest. And this, this theme kind of develops into the next chapter as well. But this place of being at rest with the bridegroom, she's not striving. She's just at peace with him. Our bed is green. Green speaks of flourishing. It speaks of, uh, of life. And so she's in this place of vibrancy and life as he's seated with her bridegroom. In the last verse, Verse 17, the beams of our houses are cedar and our rafters of fir. And these woods are used in the temple. They're, these are the, you look back at Solomon's temple, these are the type of woods that were used to build it. And so she's saying basically, uh, this house that we're in is, is the house of God. This is the place that I've been welcomed into. You know, Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. This is the bride's inheritance. This is where she will dwell with her bridegroom in his house. The beams are, are of cedar and the rafters of fir. And so what a glorious, uh, what a glorious destiny <laughs> there is for the bride. And may you be encouraged out there as you are seeking to get, be on this path of growing in love growing in appreciation for your bridegroom. May you hold that myrrh close to your heart and just continue to move on and worship your bridegroom. Mm-hmm. Amen. This is Braden and Tally reminding you to listen to the voice of your beloved bridegroom. He's coming quickly. My